Good morning. Uh, hi, my name is Jordan, and I'm your local pastor and elder here at Church 21. And I'm so glad to be joining you again this morning online um, for a continuation of our sermon series called Undeservingly Enabled in the Biblical Book of Romans. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Book of Romans, the Bible, I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, Romans was written by a guy named Paul who... Uh, hated followers of Jesus, and then had a radical encounter with him. And so he writes the book of Romans to the church in the capital of the Roman Empire to say, uh, this is how you can follow uh, Jesus. He's unpacking that. And specifically, this whole series, we've been focusing in on chapter 8, which is how to live life in the Spirit. And you might be wondering, well, what's that all about? Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we're going to start to to get into it. Um, And so... Lord, I pray that you would use this message um, to, to reach hearts and minds all across the city of Montreal, that you would come by your spirit and, and transform us, we pray. Help us to, to know more of what it looks like to live in your presence and experience you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, and so in this series, we're, we're four parts in. Um, and so if you want to you know, know more about living life in the Spirit, you could always go back and uh, watch you know, the sermons from the past uh, several weeks. Um, but, yes, where am I? Um, yeah, let's start really broad, actually. Let's start before even where this, this text starts. And that is, um, Christians believe that we live in a world that's more than what we see, touch, taste, and smell. That this world, if we're talking about you know, living life in the spirit, actually has a, a, a spiritual dimension to it, a spiritual reality to it that undergirds everything that we experience. And of course, Christians, uh, we're not the only ones who believe this. I think more and more we're seeing a sort of phenomenon or a culture where more people are embracing or rediscovering, if you would have it, spirituality and learning about things like auras and energies and, 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 and spiritual forces. This is all on the rise, so much so that we actually preached a sermon series on this in January called uh, Paranormal. And I think... Um, the, the sense that, is, that I would want to affirm in these beliefs, the sense that is right, is that Christianity agrees that, yes, there is more than just the material world. It, we're, we're more than just, uh, there's more than just mere forces and energies out there. That actually, the spiritual world is not just energies and forces. It's actually governed by a personal spiritual beings. Personal spiritual beings of which God reigns over all. Why? Because he, well, created all spiritual beings of which you and I are, are one of them, that we're, we are also personal, uh, spiritual beings. And so God is creator, and he's created you and me, and he's also uh, sustainer of life. He sustains our breath, we say, um, including all of us who, who breathe moistly. <laughs> um, he sustains our breath, and he's, he's personal. Uh, like I mentioned, he's personal. So he's uh, so personal, in fact, that he's entered into history in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and he's... Through what Jesus has done, through who he was and what he's done, um, we can enter into what it says in the very first verse of this chapter. In Romans 8 and verse 1, it says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation because Jesus has made us pure before God. And so his Holy Spirit, the divine Spirit of God, can actually come into us, into the believer, into the Christian. 
And when I say in, I mean in. He's not, you know, behind us to, to motivate us. He's not in front of us to sort of inspire us. He actually comes in. And it's a he, too. It's, 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 it's not an it. It's not a force. It's the personal presence of God that comes in. And not, you know, the behind or the in front motivating, inspiring, but in to transform from the inside out. This is what the Spirit of God can do for us. And, of course, that is a huge claim. Like, if you've been tracking with me so far, everything I'm saying, you know, God is creator, not just creator. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead can lives in you. I mean, my goodness. Christians should be, of all people, like, radically different, right? They should really stand out. And Paul, who wrote this chapter, would be like, bang on, you are exactly right. This is what his chapter is unpacking. That if God is eternal, then, while Christians of all people should be the most secure, the most uh, sort of bold. If God is loving, then Christians should be having the least fear and dread in their lives. If, if God is, is, owns everything, then Christians of all people should be the most generous, or at least more in respect to each one of those things than who they were before they met Jesus. Does that make sense? And so, this would be what it, it looks like. This is, should be what we expect, right, for uh, Christians. It should have massive implications on us. But then why don't we see this more? Why don't we see more Christians who, who are changing and being transformed in these ways? The answer is Romans 8. Romans 8. <laughs> that these are Christians who don't know what life in the Spirit is all about. These are Christians who don't know the power of God's presence working in their life to change them from the inside out. These are Christians who haven't experienced the felt presence of God in their lives, producing joy and hope and peace in them, creating love in them before God and neighbor. You too can experience that, that living life in the Spirit, my goodness, it's like, it's like sitting on a mineral deposit, but it, it's... it's it's like you've been given rights to it, but it's possible when we're talking about these Christians, it's, it's like sitting on a mineral deposit that you've never mined, right? You just, you got all the treasure sitting below you and you're not tapping into it. On the other hand, living in the spirit is the most enriching, life transforming, soul fulfilling, adventurous thing that you could ever do. And you can experience that. And Paul in Romans 8 is saying then as a whole that life in the spirit and life with God is more than just a get out of hell free card. Like it's more than just the removal of some negative in your life. It's, a, it's the addition of a positive thing. It's that you have been freed from hell so that you can live for God, for relationship with God, for life in the spirit. And this is what we're talking about. And yet too many Christians settle for less. We don't tap into the intimacy that God offers us. We know we're forgiven by him. We say, yes, yes, I'm a child of God. And then, well, that's, that's kind of it, right? We don't even scratch the surface of the riches available to us in Christ. And maybe you're here and maybe that's you, right? That's, that's sitting in on you. You're like, yes, I have received the forgiveness of God in the past. And yet I know, I know, if I'm honest, there is more for me in the spirit and the present that I'm not, I'm not engaging into. 
Or maybe you're here and you're exploring faith with us. And I'm so glad you're here if you're doing that. And you're wondering, well, what do Christians mean? He keeps referring to like this relationship with God thing. What is that all about? I mean, I had a friend who did Alpha with us. This is a course where you can explore Christianity. And at one point she said, you know, Jordan, I'm so frustrated by Christians. They keep talking about being in a relationship with God. And yet, when I actually press into it, I can't get a substantive response. I don't know that that, that feels like or what that, that looks like. And so what I hope to do today is give you some form of a response to that. That our Alpha friend is right. That like any relationship in, in life, like me to you or you to your mom or whatever, there's, there's something real and tangible and substantive about that. And this is what life in the Spirit is all about. It's, it's much more than just sort of head knowledge. It's actually deep relational heart knowledge. And so, what is the experience of being a child of God? That's what we're going to look, like, look at today. What is the experience of being a child of God? And I'm going to give you four evidences, four ways that you experience God's presence in your life. The first, God's children are led by His Spirit. The second, God's children are liberated from sin slavery of fear. The third, God's children are loved in the Father's family. And the fourth, God's children are lavished with his glory. You are led, liberated, loved, and lavished. So first, led. God's children are led by the Spirit. You see this in Romans 8 and verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Or you could read daughters of God. Well, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? I think the best way to answer this in context to what Paul is saying is with the previous verse. Verse 13. For if you live according to the deeds of the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are put to death, you put to death the deeds in the body, your body you will live. Um, so Dwight, this is a verse that Dwight uh, preached last week. And in it, he gave what he called uh, strategies for killing sin, uh, lest it be killing uh, you. That the Christian life is a battle that requires active engagement against it. And like this verse says, um, if, you, if you live according to the flesh, that's sin. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And so, uh, the sinful flesh, it's seeking to, to kill us. But with the Spirit's help, we can be killing it. And so, what is it, in context, to be led by the Spirit here? It's putting to death the sin in your life so that you can become more like Jesus. That's what moves you forward. Is that different from what you think of when you hear being led by the Spirit? It was for me. Um, In April, we had our second child. And uh, this was my second paternity leave. The first paternity leave I took... It was pretty chill. I mean, with a new baby, and just there's not much that you can do. You can basically like help mom who who helps the baby. And so, in that paternity leave, I got a lot of reading done. I got a lot of sermon preparation done. It, I was very restful, and I was expecting that coming into my second paternity leave. But boy, was I so wrong. I mean, I realized within the first couple of days there was no way like I was going to be able to spend. The, the paternity leave this way. I mean, Hazel, she's one and a half years old. It was the middle of COVID. No friends, no family, no playgroups. And she's not old enough to entertain herself. So I became her full-time uh, child playmate, entertainer, whatever you want to call it. 
And I found myself being so frustrated with her. Why? Because I had these, you know, these expectations that I thought were, you know, spirit-led, like reading lots of books about God, sermon preparation, and all this sort of thing. I mean, wouldn't the Spirit of God want me to learn more about Him and this kind of thing? And then I felt like Hazel was getting in the way of those goals. And what God had to show me is that increasing in knowledge of Him, checking off tasks for God, was... Was, was me pursuing the wrong thing. What he wanted for me was to become more like him, more like Jesus. That the way for me to grow in knowing and loving God better was actually for me to be present with my daughter, Hazel. <laughs> and so this is what it, it's talking about, too, that to, to be led by the Spirit looks a lot less like doing and a whole lot more like being, becoming like Jesus. And the doing part, the task part and all that, that will follow. And so it's the spirit that helps you fight sin. And he, he uses that to actually move you forwards in your life. And so this is what Paul is saying. That this is the evidence that follows those who are children of God. That, experience the, that experiencing this, this continuous fight to, to die to sin, to die to certain parts of yourself, your finances, your schedules, your goals, or whatever, this is evidence of the Spirit of God working in you. And so, to apply this, do you think you're someone who's led by the Spirit? Well, if you're not killing sin in your life, you're not. This is essentially what Paul is saying you have to be at war with your sin. See, we, we tend to think that the admission of struggling with sin is a sort of bad thing. But it's actually a good thing because those people who aren't struggling with their sins, they're the ones who are not seeking to overcome it. And so the evidence, this is evidence, struggling with sin, fighting your sin of the Spirit's work within you. If you need to go back and listen to last week's sermon, go ahead and do that. So, God's children are led by the Spirit. The second evidence of God's presence that we experience in our lives is God's children are liberated from sin slavery to fear. You see this in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. But you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That was verse 15, sorry. But the passage here is stating the obvious, that to live in slavery is also to live in fear. What are you afraid of? I like how Mark Sayers uh, says it. He's a, he's a pastor and a cultural commentator. He talks about how people in our generation live lives of ambient, ambient, ambient anxiety. I can't seem to say that right. Ambient anxiety, that there's a sort of... Um, how should I say, a sort of low-grade fear through a lot of our lives. And so, what is causing you ambient anxiety? What do you live with a sort of low-grade fear of losing? Because whatever that is, that has become a master to you. If your master is a romantic relationship, right, what's going to happen? You're going to live in fear of being alone. Let's say you are in a relationship, 
then you're going to live in fear of you know, being your true self, exposing your flaws to the person you're with for fear of losing them. Or at least your sense of who you are will sort of rise and fall with who they think of you, uh, who you are. You live in fear of them. If your master is your children, then you're going to live in fear of parenting them sort of perfectly. You're going to live in fear of losing them. If your master is your finances, you're going to find your heart rates rising and falling with the ups and downs of the market. If your master is your career, then you're going to live in constant fear of being exposed, not, not uh, being able to sort of meet the credentials that are on your, your resume, being found out to be a fraud. And so relationships, careers, children, all of this kind of stuff, all of these, right, they're good things. But when they become ultimate things, they become masters that enslave us. And they're bad masters. When any of these things has more place in our life than God, we call that sin. But you might be thinking here, Jordan, that's nice, but I'm a Christian. Like, God is the one who's in control of my life. These things, these other masters, they don't have control of me. But is that so? I want you to think about the last sort of major life decision that you made. The last big decision that you made in your life. Think of the most recent one. And then the question I'm going to ask is this. What was the primary driver in that decision? See, was it how other perceive you? Other people will perceive you. Was that your driver? Well, if that was your driver, then other people's opinions are a master of you. Was it your finances? Then your, your portfolio is the master of you, right? See, these are valid things to consider, but when they, when they are the first thing, it's possible that they're also the primary thing, right? And so if the decision was primarily made around and for reputation or people's opinions or finances or so on, right? These things, while you might call yourself a Christian, while you might call yourself a child of God, functionally, these things have become a master to you, and you are enslaved to them. And so you need freedom too, right? This, this begins to reveal, these kinds of questions begin to reveal so often the shackles that we wear in our lives. See, a, a slave is a person who is shackled, stuck, They're powerless economically or socially or or politically or whatever. And so if you're a slave to sin, then you are powerless to do what is right, to do what is good, to overcome evil. And you might be thinking, well, Jordan, you know, no, 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 like this is, you know, sin is slavery. That must be some sort of uh, preacher exaggeration. But really, uh, that's not something I've experienced. I can, when I want to, I can control um, the sin in my life. I can do good if I want to do good. Really? Really? Because what Paul would say is, he would say this to you. He said, you actually haven't tried hard enough, right? You think you've tried to do what's right, but if you actually tried to do what's right, you'd find out that you can't. I think, I think along with Paul, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, this. This is a very famous quote from him, and I'll read it. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try and resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you only find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not giving in. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it have been an hour later. 
This is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. And so this is what the Bible calls, this is why the Bible calls sin enslaving. And this is why our situation is so dire before God. Because as slaves, then how are we going to set ourselves free? And this is actually a question that was brought to Jesus. And Jesus responds to this question in John chapter 8. I put the verse on my thing here. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And this is how far we've taken. We've seen that. Yeah, I got that. Sin is slavery. Verse 35, Jesus goes on. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The answer, says Jesus, is that to be set free, the son must set you free. That a slave, right, they're powerless to set themselves free. And a slave is powerless, and they're not in the position to set anyone else free as well. No, it requires someone with greater power, a greater position, a member of, it says here, the household, in order to set them free, in order to set the slave free. And that is who Jesus came to be, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one, if you would have it, who is a member of the household. He has both the position and the power in order to set you free, and that's what he does. He comes and he pays the price on your head, the price of a slave, in order to set you free. And what does that mean for you? That means that those masters of reputation, those masters of having to live for relationship, those masters of career, all of those bad masters, they can be freed in the name of Jesus. That Jesus can come and loose those shackles if you will bring it to him. Will you bring it to him? Jesus has paid the price. Let him loose those chains in Jesus' name. Remember, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Turn to him in freedom, and you will find him to be a good master. And not only a good master, but a brother. You see, there's also adoption in this. It's not just redemption, it's adoption. That Jesus was the son who was substituted for you, the slave, so that we could have privilege we don't deserve, and that is to become a son and a daughter of God. So that we could, like the text says, remain in the house forever. This is not something that we were born into. This is the beauty of Christianity. It's the wonder of Jesus coming and substituting himself for you. Moving you from being a slave to a son. Adoption. And this is why Christians are so stoked about adoption. This is why the interview with Tim Smith last week with Forever Families Canada, connecting the local church to the needs of fostering and adoption in our local communities and across Canada is so important. There are resources available for you on that website. This is why this week we talked to Ross and Brenda, because families like them in our church are involved in fostering and adoption, showing the love of God out in practical ways like this, that they have been moved by the love of God. And what kind of love is the love of God? Well, it's a love that is pure. It is a love that's perfect. It's a love that welcomes us home and says that we can belong in him and it is never ending. And it's also a love of God that can displace fear. It can displace all fear. 
that you can be liberated from sin's slavery to fear as a child of God, which is what the point was. But how so? How does being a child of God liberate us from sin's slavery to fear? Well, back to Hazel again. (laughs) Um, When we leave my, my daughter Hazel with friends and babysitters, it's always, it's always interesting to hear about it when we come back. And if you're a parent, you probably, you probably experience this as well, right? That your child acts differently when you're not there. They act differently with other people, right? They sort of like stare at the floor, or they don't quite say as much, or they don't, they don't really try and push it to new heights in building that castle of cushions they've been working on. In Hazel's case, she's, she's a lot more reserved. But what happens when mommy and daddy come home, right? Talking all the time, learning new things, exploring new heights with the castle of cushions, right? Children are more themselves in what? When their parents are home, when their parents are, are present. And so it is with you and I and our heavenly father, right? That when the presence of God, when the presence of love has come, fear is displaced in the name of Jesus. That we can be welcome to grow up and to maturity, fully ourselves in him. And yet, and yet, this isn't what we always feel, is it? Right? Sometimes we begin to live in a sort of fear of God as a rule master, as a sort of cosmic, dreaded babysitter. Right? That there's this, this sense of distance that's come in, a sense of coldness in our heart, a sense of, of being more reserved. I don't meet his expectations. He's not happy with me. Ah, this sort of thing. <laughs> but if you're a child of God, that's not living in the freedom that Jesus died for. No, you're not a slave, but a son. That's the mindset of a slave you're talking about. Confess your sin. Run to him. He's waiting with you with open arms to embrace you as his lost son and daughter, as his estranged son and daughter. Come home and come home to him. And he will, he will loose those chains. He doesn't want you to stay as you are. He wants to grow you up into maturity in Christ. And so you don't need to be reserved with him. You need to run into him because it's his presence that actually transforms you. It's his presence where you can find belonging and freedom. And that's how being a child of God liberates us from fear. That in his presence, we become more fully ourselves in Christ. You can experience that. Do you have anxiety? That's how I started this section. See, a lot of us live with the the ambient anxiety that John Mark Sayers was talking about. And that's a bad master. Fear is a bad master. Fear not. Again and again, the Bible says, and then what does it say? For I am with you. (laughs) That the Father is present with you in your fear. And so you can give it over to him. It says his perfect love casts out All fear, not some fear, all fear. You can cast all your cares on him, all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. And his, he will keep you in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, not partial peace. And so you have nothing to be anxious about when you are secure in him. I've loved this quote from Oswald Chambers. (laughs) Oswald Chambers. I've shared it before. He says this. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, 
you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. Now live in the freedom from fear and dread that he offers to you. This is the next evidence of God's presence in our life. This is an evidence. And the next evidence of God's presence in our life, third point, is that God's children are loved into the Father's family. We've seen how they are led, how they are liberated, and now God's children are loved into the Father's family. The end of verse 15 again. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Because you have been adopted by God, you are loved by God. Paul says in Ephesians that you are accepted in the Beloved. Who's the Beloved? It's his son, Jesus. That God loves you with the love that he has for Jesus. That you are in the Beloved. You're in him. And so we can, like Jesus did in a garden, cry out to him, Abba, Father. Who is it that you cry with? Well, it's those people that you can be most intimate with. It's those people that you can trust. Those are the people that you can let your hair down to. Those are the people that you can cry with, that you can let the tears flow and be vulnerable And so it is, God says, with me. You can be vulnerable with me. That like children, we can run to him and he will receive our tears. In fact, he knows them all. Every single one. It says he's numbered the hairs on your head. That he he cares for you. You can bring your cares. You can bring your worries, your anxieties like you saw. And he cares for you. And so he can become, what I'm saying, is personal to you. That he's not a distant ruler to be feared. No, he's one that you can call Abba, Daddy. And if that's something that you want to do this morning, you can call out to God as Father, and he will become a father to you, and you will become his child. And so if you want to do that, Click the connect button at the top, and I'll follow up with you. But this is what it looks like to have relationship with God. It's the feeling. It's the deep, heart, relational knowledge of being accepted, of belonging with Christ, to the extent that it actually grows your confidence as a son and daughter before him, to the point where you're willing to have these sort of outpourings of prayer, of praise, And here's the thing. We cry out, and he listens. This is what the next verse says, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are sons and children of God. What's it saying? Well, as humans, we have a human spirit. But as Christians, what happens is that God's divine spirit comes in and can minister to, witness, connect with our human spirit. I mean, this is, this is a mystery, but it is very, very real. <laughs> that, that this is part of being a child of God, is that you are loved into the family of God. And in that, the Holy Spirit reminds you who you are in Christ. This is what makes having a relationship with God different than 
self-help. This is what makes uh, Christian prayer different than positive thinking. See, what's positive thinking? Positive thinking sort of goes along as, well, you talk to yourself. You say, I'm not determined by my circumstances. I'm not determined by emotional, my emotional state. So say, like, you know, you flunk a test, and so you feel like a failure. Well, what positive thinking does is says, well, no, you are not a failure. No, you are smart. You are successful. And it seeks to change you that way. Well, what makes Christian prayer different than positive thinking is that Christian prayer is, is premised on actual, a real interaction with God. Right? His spirit is in you. So you don't ignore those feelings either. No, you bring those feelings before God. But it's not just a process of thinking alone. It's not just a process of talking to yourself alone. No, because the spirit of God is actually present with you, you need to stop and listen. And he can speak to you. You might come to him and say, Father, show me that I'm a beloved child of God. And what the Spirit can do is actually come alongside you and speak to your spirit and say, yes, yes, you are. This is something that is real. This is something that is distinct. This is something that makes Christianity stand out, right? This is no sort of vacuum of positive self-help thinking. No, it's an experience that comes from the outside. And because it's not just your thoughts talking to your thoughts, because it's his thoughts talking to your heart, that brings true, real, and deep transformation. The transformation that we need. And you might say, well, that's sort of a, sort of a subjective uh, thing. But let me think, help you process it through it like this. When you hear the Spirit of God speaking his love to you, it evaporates fear in your heart. Fear in your heart. It comes like a flame. It's sort of like being in front of a campfire on a cold night. You don't need any validation for the heat that you feel in your hands. You're not going through a sort of process of, why do my hands feel warm? There's no reasoning that needs to sort of be done there. It's just, it's just sort of an obviousness to it that, the, well, it's the heat from the fire that is warming your hands. And so it is with the Spirit of God warming your heart. It needs no validation. It's experienced. It's experienced it's felt. And it's subjective, yes, but that doesn't mean it isn't real. It just means it's going to be different from person to person. It's going to be feeling like a little bit more here and a little bit less there. This is something that I've experienced in my life. This is something that brings me so much joy, so much umph for why I do what I do. The Spirit can speak to your spirit. He can bring conviction of sin. He can counsel you through difficult times. He can tell you who you are in Christ when you are doubting who you are in him. That you, as a child of God, are loved into the Father's family. And this isn't just for someone who's a pastor or in ministry. No, this is for anybody. Anybody. It's not the spiritual elite. What did Jesus say? He said, let uh, let anyone who come to me, um, who, let anyone who thirsts come to me, and I will give you of the rivers of the water life. Let anyone, anyone. Jesus was referring to his spirit here. It's for everyone. This is a normative part of the Christian life in relationship with God. The Holy Spirit can speak to your spirit, testifying who you are. Have you heard his voice? You are loved by God. 
God's children are loved into the Father's family. And the final, the final evidence we have of God's presence in our lives and of relationship with him is this. That God's children are lavished with his glory. We have seen loved, liberated, led, and now we are lavished with his glory. We see this in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I will speak more to the aspect of suffering next week. In short, being a child of God means that God has provided for you. Not that, you know, you know, as an heir. It's not that God is getting old and will die. No, God is eternal. And actually, as God is being eternal, that means that your inheritance is secure. Your inheritance is fixed. It's not, it's not fickle in any way. That, that, that you have a real and hope-filled future in him. Because he's good on his promises. God acts good on his promises. And this is an inheritance. You are an heir because he has made you a son from being a slave. So how does this connect to the here and now? Well, a number of years ago, I watched uh, a Vice documentary called, on YouTube called uh, The Last Vicar of Baghdad. And I think it was watching this documentary where this popped out to me for the first time. And in it, um, you have this guy, the vicar, you know, Canon Andrew White, and he is ministering, he's pastoring a conversation. He's, he's the last Anglican sort of vicar or pastor. And he's pastoring a congregation in Baghdad, Iraq. And Iraq, right, this is a city that's been bombed. It's, it's been through all sorts of terrible uh, devastation. And the church has as well. I mean, there's people in his church who have been beheaded. There's people, <laughs> there's people in his church who have had death threats. Um, actually, their Sunday school of children was, was bombed. Uh, by extremists. And so this, this church is, is scattered beyond a COVID-style scattering. This is far, far worse. And then the documentary, which follows this vicar around, you see him um, doing sort of house visits, caring for the, the sick and the, and the elderly and the weak who, who can't attend services anymore. And it's, there's this one particular scene that is, is so, just so striking. I mean, you see as the camera pans the room the utter devastation of war and the poverty and the mental health issues that these people are facing. And yet in the midst of that, as they receive communion, there's just this, this visceral joy and, and, and peace as they take that. And then the, the, the vicar, he turns to the camera and he says this. He says, they have nothing, but they have everything because they have Jesus. And that struck me. They have nothing, but they have everything because they have Jesus. Jesus is the center of their life. And this is when I realized that if you die with everything, if you die with that career you wanted, if you die with that house you wanted, that wife you wanted, that whatever you wanted, and don't have God, you have nothing. It was all a loss. But on the other hand, if you have nothing, if everything in this world has been taken away. Naked have you come into the world, naked you will return. Don't forget that. But if you have Jesus, you have everything. That is what it means to be an heir with God. Let that reality sink into your souls. This is more than saying, I just trust in Jesus. 
This is saying, I value what Jesus has provided for me. I value the relationship that I have with God. And this is a felt experience that changes you. This is what it looks like to have a relationship with God. This is what it means to be, uh, you know, as God's children, lavished with his glory. And so, we are led. We are liberated. We are loved. And we are lavished by God. This is what it looks like to experience God in everyday nooks and crannies of being a Christian. And living, this is what it looks like to live life in the Spirit. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for anything less than living it out to the full for Jesus by the power of his spirit in your life. Don't just settle scratching on the surface of that mind. Mine it to the very depths. It will never end because it's a mind that is God. And God is inexhaustible in his glory and in his goodness and in his joy and in his perfection. And that is available to you in Christ. Don't settle for less. You are loved, liberated, loved, uh, led, lavish, whatever. <laughs> you have been freed from hell for relationship with God and life in the Spirit. Mine it out, the riches of Christ. Let me pray for you. Uh, but first, I'll go to the discussion questions. Uh, no, I'll pray first. Lord, I pray by your Spirit um, that this message would be a message that wakes us up, that reminds us who we are in Christ, that excites us to live life in the Spirit for you. Lord, would you bring conviction of sin where it is needed? Those things that have become masters of our life, that have enslaved us, would you break those chains in Jesus' name? Would you become more compelling to us? Would worship of you draw our hearts to say yes to you again? Come, bring freedom. Fill us with your love. Lead us by your spirit. And lavish us in Jesus' name. By your, with your intimacy, amen. All right, and so the discussion questions this morning are going to be this. And these are questions that you can discuss with the people you've met with. The first, what is a way that your relationship with God has freed you recently? What is a way that your relationship with God has freed you recently? The second, which of these do you need to grow in experiencing more? Being led liberated, loved, or lavished as a child of God? Which do you need to experience more?